Thank you, Miss Mary. I was hoping my other daughter would be here. Huh? Krista. Well, she shared a joke with me this morning. I've never told a joke from the pulpit here yet. But she shared one this morning, and I just thought, well, I've got to do that. Normally, I don't do it because I can't get them straight, you know, and then... So I had to tell myself this one over and over and over again, you know. And she said, I could see your wheels were turning. You know what? Let's see. You know why a piano and fish are so different? Because you can't tune a fish. Now, that's why they, or I see, hear all, hear all the joy. and That's why they don't like me to tell jokes. <laughs> Because they just, they're groan instead of laughing. <laughs> oh, well. All right, we got that out of the way now. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I had a pretty good week, and just thought I'd little give you an update. Tomorrow I have two appointments, one at 10.30, one at 2.30. Um, the biopsy report you heard that it was um, fungus. It's not cancer in the lymph nodes. What they did not test is the two spots that are over here on the right side in my lung. And so now this thing, they called a tumor board of doctors that met, and they've apparently already decided what they want to do, and they're going to tell me at 10.30 tomorrow whether they think they should go ahead and biopsy this or whether they should wait and go ahead and treat this and see if this goes away or... What? So I don't know what the outcome of that will be. And then at 2.30, I meet with the infectious disease doctor to decide what he's going to do about this anyway. So even though the report was uh, very, very good, um, you know, still not 100% clear. They don't know 100% that this isn't cancer over here. It could be. I could have fungus here and cancer over here. This could be all fungus, as far as we know. That's what we hope it is. And quite frankly, I'm just praying that they will um, say, well, we're not going to biopsy this right now. We'll go ahead and treat this, uh, the lymph nodes. And if this goes down or goes away, then we'll know the whole thing was fungus and we'll go with that. One of the things we determined, I think I mentioned that it probably came from my dad's barn uh, when I went home in Indiana in September. Uh, I spent good little bit of time out in the barn and we were rustling around moving boards and stuff and stirred up a lot of dust. Well, the spores from this uh, fungus can live in bird droppings or fowl droppings for years and years. And the very place in the barn where my dad had his shop used to be the place where they kept chickens over 40 years ago. So and evidently in stirring up the dust there, that's where I breed that in. It takes 5 to 18 days after exposure for the symptoms to manifest themselves. And, of course, as you know, from September to middle of October when I had this problem develop, why, that's the perfect timing for that to show itself. So that's how we arrived at that conclusion, that it was probably during that time I was out in the barn and shouldn't have been there, but, of course, didn't know that. My wife wants to add something to this. Mm-hmm.
Now, all the reports that from in the initial report, the doctors, I mean, it just says looks like cancer, looks like cancer, consistent with cancer, looks like metastatic cancer all the way through. Then when we got the report back, it said biopsy LR, non-metastatic cancer, biopsy number 10, no cancer, biopsy number five, no cancer, bio whatever, no cancer all the way down through. So that was, that really was the good report and the thing we were, we, you and I and I, we were all rejoicing in. So, but we're still asking you to pray concerning tomorrow and you know, really over the next few weeks, whatever they decide to do as far as treatment goes, you know, that this here will go away and then we'll pretty well know that's, that was fungus as well. Okay, now there was something else I wanted to say, and I've done, rambled on, and forgot what it was. Oh, see, I shouldn't have told that joke to start with. That got me off. There was one other thing I wanted to... Well, Jeff's here to preach, and we're already past time letting him preach, and I don't want to miss out on that. I'm letting Jeff preach one more time at least here. I had, had a very good week. I obeyed. I just stayed home and rested. I went to work. Well, actually, one day I went to work and stayed a little too long. It was about four or five hours. Honestly, I came home, and I just ripped my clothes off and prayed that I could get to bed before I collapsed. I felt that weak. Then the next day, I only went for like two or three hours, and I came home and slept again. And so I've rested. I've done not done much this week, and so... I've obeyed that, but where they put the tube in, the breathing tube in my throat, that is still very sore. And this is still pretty tender too, but mainly this is what's bothering me. And so every time I talk a lot, that starts bothering me again. So I waited till the end of the week to the last minute, Friday night, to see how I was going to do. And I finally said, I better call Jeff. I don't want to, you know, call him Sunday morning and say, hey, can you come over? So we're glad to have him and his family here with us once again. Brother Jeff? He'd have told me he was going to tell a joke, I'd have told him that was a bad idea. Cause I've known Al for quite a few years. so I've got to flip through here and get the right notes because uh, I told him when he called me Friday, I was uh, at basketball practice, and he goes, sounds like you're in a gym. I said, that's because I am. And he said, uh, are you ready to preach? So I said, well, you know, I'm always ready to preach. I don't know if anybody's ready to listen, but... So, uh, but I did tell him I uh, we do uh, two Sundays in a row in my Sunday school class. You know that Alan started with Dale Carter years ago. So I was on my second Sunday of teaching Sunday school. So I said, well, you know, I got to do Sunday school Sunday morning. He goes, that's okay. He goes, you know, we don't, you know, you don't get to get up to speak till about ten forty-five. So just knock off about ten twenty, ten twenty-five over there, drive over here, and you know, walk up and pulpit and start preaching. Of course, uh, fortunately. Uh, my family was all ready to go, and I ran out of the uh, Sunday school class and up and over. You know, we lived right there on, by the campus or whatever, so I ran right across the parking lot into the car, and they were all in the car and jumped in here and drove the speed limit over here to to get here on time. <clears throat> Wouldn't want to not drive the speed limit. That would be a bad thing. 
But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Word, and that's interesting that uh, the brother said you guys were going to, you know, give uh, money to buy, uh, looks like, several Bibles for <laughs> for middle school age kids. But it, like we talked about a couple Sundays ago, it's all about this book. So we're going to talk about the living Word today, and I told my family on the way over, I hope I don't start talking one one message and then jump over into Revelation where I just got done, but uh, it all it's all connected, so you just bear with me. But uh, yeah, it's all about the Word of God, and uh, like we talked about last uh, time, you know, if you want to be an overcomer, three main things you got to overcome, that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Remember we said to overcome the world by your faith. And faith coming cometh by the by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And really all the overcomings, overcoming the flesh, you know, you gotta mortify the deeds of the body or the deeds of the flesh, or mortify being an old English term to put to death, and then to overcome Satan by resisting him. But remember how did Jesus Christ overcome Satan? And he was tempted in all points like as we are. He quoted what? Scripture. So to be an overcomer, you've got to be uniquely familiar with this book. So we talked about you got to be in this book on a daily, daily basis to be an overcomer in this life. <clears throat> It's interesting also, uh, they're talking about, uh, uh, what was that? I'm getting like Alan now. I'm not near as old as he is. I had another point there, now I forgot it. Maybe I should tell a joke, <laughs> and that will get me back into what. But I am, I am glad to have a, a special guest with me here today, which is my really my grandson and my granddaughter. But uh, their parents are here too. My grandchildren's parents and their grandma's here, and some nieces and I mean aunts and uncles are back there too. But uh, it was my grandson that was testifying there earlier. If you heard him, he was saying, "Let Grandpa get up and speak." I think that's what he was, or he's probably saying, "Alan, don't tell that joke." <laughs> that's probably what he was saying. Don't tell that joke, Alan. But uh, his mommy had to take him out. My granddaughter's in the nursery already, I believe. And then my grandchildren's daddy's sitting back there with the beard. And then that's my wife, Angie. That's TJ. My wife, Angie. One of my sons, Joshua. My daughter, Allie. Ashley, who was here the last time I spoke and has been over here numerous times. She's in the nursery, I guess, with my oldest daughter, Amber, with my grandchildren. And the only one that couldn't make it is my oldest son, Jeffrey, he had to work today. He works at Staples, and he goes to school to get any hours in at Staples. He has to, they always give him a Saturday and Sunday shift, so he's working over at Staples this morning. So I've got five kids. Been married to my lovely wife, lovely wife for 27 years. I know I don't look that old, but 27 years and five kids later, and I'm still... Mostly sane, I guess. We'll talk about the living word today. And remember in 2 Timothy, very familiar verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. 
It says, all scripture is given by, in most translations, it says inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The actual t- Greek word for inspiration is really theonoustos, which is a compound word, theo, theos meaning being God. Neustos coming from pneuma, which means breathe. So all, actually all scripture is God-breathed. This is the breathed out word of God. And being God-breathed actually carries more weight than the term inspiration. This is the literal breathed out word of God. And then remember in Hebrews it says that the word of God is alive. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword dividing the thunder of the soul and spirit. So what makes the word of God alive? So to figure that out, we talked about it being God-breathed. You have to go all the way back to the start, back in Genesis, right? So let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to talk about that breathe or the, you know, the same Hebrew and Greek word, you know, is for breath and spirit, right? So, obviously, pneuma, breath, or the neshama in the Hebrew, the neshama of God, the breath of God. And we'll see why the word of God is alive, the living word. Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living, my translation says being, or living soul. So when God formed man from the dust of the ground, at that point, was man alive? No, you have to go on in the verse. It says, and then he breathed in his, into his nostrils the breath of life, and then man became a living being. So we see in back in Genesis that the breath of God or the spirit breathes life. And so then you have that first mentioned principle where the breath of God or the spirit or the breath of God is what gives life and sustains life and, and keeps it going. So you have that connection all the way back in Genesis in that first mentioned principle, so anytime you see life being given in the scripture, you'll see the breathing in of life or the breath of God. Then remember when you see death, remember literally when Christ was on the cross, when it said he gave up the ghost, literally in the Greek that he, what? Breathed out. That's what it says literally in the Greek. So when he gave up the ghost or gave up his life, he literally he breathed out. So life, you have life, you breathe in, or the spirit breathes life into you, and then when you see death, there's a breathing out. So that's uh, intricately connected to life is the breath of God. So and then we see back in, in Second Timothy that all Scripture is. God breathed. 
And of course, the original type really isn't even in Genesis 2-7. The original type, you've got to go back to chapter 1, right? Verse, the second part of, last part of verse 2 through verse 5 says what? Well, let's just start at the beginning. <laughs> verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens, plural, and the earth. And then he turns his attention to where? The earth, right? It says, the earth became formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, remember spirit and breath are the same word. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there came evening, and there came morning one day, or the first day. <clears throat> So we see uh, in the beginning, and of course I know uh, a lot of the translations use the term was there, but actually that uh, verb in the Hebrew is a verb of being, and it reads better, became formless and void. So in verse 1, you see a general description of back in eternity past, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he turns his attention. He said, the earth became formless and void. At what point in time did that happen in the past? Because what I'm saying here is you have a creation in verse 1, and then you have a ruin that occurs at the beginning of verse 2. And then you have a restoration that occurs over six days, and then God did what on the seventh day? Rested. So what point in time passed did the earth become formless and void? Why was there a curse put upon the earth? Well, if you read on in the scriptures, you see who was the original ruler God put over, the anointed cherub that was over this part of his world. Lucifer, I heard somebody say it, or Satan as we know him now. Then what happened to Satan if you read on in the Old Testament in time past? He sought to what? Exalt himself, right? He wanted to be like who? He wanted to be like God. See, God in his governmental order, he rules from where? His throne, which is the, in the utmost parts of the north, right? And he rules over all, and then he has angels that rule underneath him and then they have subordinate angels that rule under them and then you have earthly rulers that rule under those the fallen angels and that's why in my understanding of the scriptures uh, it's not our job as believers to get as many Christians elected into political offices so we can better this world because that's not what the church was created for in time past right but that's what we saw in the, in the third epistle in Revelation, the church at Pergamos. The term Pergamos comes from the Greek word gamos, which means marriage. So from the first epistle, the church at Ephesus that left its first love, right? 
But he said, I do still have this for you. You hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Well, then when you get to the third or fourth century, the church of Pergamos, if you're talking about church history, Pergamos means marriage. In the third and fourth century, what happened in, in history of the church? A guy named Constantine came on the scene, right? And what did he do with Christianity? He was a Roman ruler. Well, he wasn't a Roman ruler, but he was... Uh, <clears throat> he made Christianity an accepted religion to worship, and then eventually it became the only religion of the Holy Roman Empire, and then you had the Holy Roman Catholic Church. So by the 3rd or 4th century of church history, you go from Ephesus leaving its first love to Pergamos being the church married to the world, which was what it was never designed to do. And you had the church and the world come meshed together, and then it's never really recovered from that all through the church dispensation. <clears throat> we're not supposed to be part of the world. Remember, we're supposed to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. So, I mean, I appreciate W, and I, I believe he's a believer and all, but that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, he's still ruling under Satan and his fallen angels, right? And he's still being used by a sovereign God to bring past what's going to pass, and that's what we talked about a couple Sundays ago. Man was created, as you see in Genesis 1, 24 through 26, to rule. And we were created to rule to replace the original ruler, Lucifer, who sinned and fell and was disqualified. And so then man was created to rule in his stead, and Satan full well knew that. So then he comes in and tempts Eve, and man sins, and we're disqualified. But what did he have in place for man that he didn't have in place for angels? Redemption, plan of redemption. So this whole book is a book of redemption, and it's a book of government. It's the transfer of the government under the kingdom of the present kingdom of Satan over under the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ and the overcomers. Because the age or the world or the ages to come is not going to be subject to angels, says in Hebrews, it's going to be under man. The second Adam, the God-man and his overcomers who are co-rulers with him, if you're decided to be an overcomer at the judgment seat of Christ, then you will get to ascend the throne with his throne with Jesus Christ and rule with him for a thousand years. As you see in all the seven epistles and the seven different overcomers' promises, because we'll an overcomer will get all those promises, not just this one to that church or that one to that church. You'll get all the promises that are mentioned in the seven epistles if you overcome. But back to this, you see that there was a ruin that created, started in verse 2. And then God set about to restore his ruined creation, right? So it says... Then God's, uh, then it says in verse 2, 
The earth became formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So we see in the restoration, in God's first mention of how he's going to restore a ruined creation, in this instance, the, 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 the earth itself, and then also in the, in the ruin of man, as we see after Adam and Eve fall, he, the Spirit moves... God speaks, the Spirit moves, God speaks, and light comes into existence. Remember two Sundays ago we said the true light is Jesus Christ. So see, we see in the restoration of a ruined creation, both the material creation, earth and man, all that God has involved. Yet the Spirit moved, and God spoke, and light came into existence. And the light is Jesus Christ. And remember then in verse 3 or 4, it says, God separated the light from the darkness. So that's your original type there of God, of the spirit. Remember, spirit and Hebrew, spirit and breath are the same Hebrew word. So the spirit moved, God spoke, light came into existence. And then there's a stark separation made, made between the light and darkness. And there's nothing good said about darkness. Only he pronounced light good, not darkness. So in, in our life, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, as it says in Acts 16.31, then there's a light comes into existence, right? And then there's a separation made between our spirit, which was quickened or made alive remember it's your spirit that died in or in adam in the old in the in genesis so then when you believe your spirit is quickened and made alive and then god makes it there's a stark separation made between your spirit and your soul the spiritual man and the fleshly man and then you have that constant warring throughout our life and to be an overcomer remember you have to put on the armor it talks about in ephesians because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces that occupy the heavens still, that are still ruling. <clears throat> and we have to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. But that's this, it's the breath of God that's connected with life. So turn to John chapter 1. We'll start right in chapter 1, beginning of, in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There's that separation of light and darkness. And Jesus Christ is the light. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light. 
so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. Speaking of Jesus Christ again. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Literally, he came to his own things. That's a neuter in the Greek, the first own. And his own people did not receive him, being who? The Jews. And when we talk about praying for the peace of Jerusalem or pray for the peace of Israel, when will that occur? In the millennium, right? That's just like in the what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, which we know as the model prayer, because remember it was the disciples that came unto Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy world come. Why, I'm sorry, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to go on with the trespasses and give us our daily bread. But that's really a repetitive statement there. When pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, when will that occur? The messianic kingdom, right? So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem or the peace of Israel, or if you pray... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're praying for that same time to come, right? You're praying for, first of all, what's the next thing that's going to occur? We're going to get raptured out of here, the church, first of all, all believers in this dispensation. And then judgment begins with the house of God. So we'll all stand before Jesus Christ at his judgment seat, and that's where the determinations are made between those who hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and those that hear, depart from me. Right? And if you read through all the epistles in Revelation, you see what the overcomers will get. And I was doing the fourth epistle today to Thyatira, so it, you said, it said you get to authority over the nations. What would that be a reference to? Ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. All right? He said he'd give you the morning star. Who's the morning star? Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Jesus says, I'm the bright morning star. So that would only be a reference to getting to participate in his rule during the coming messianic kingdom. So it says, he came unto his own things, in verse 11 of John 1, and his own people did not receive him. Then it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Then verse 14. The word became flesh. So who is the word? 
Jesus Christ, right? He became flesh at his incarnation. So you have the living word here again and the written word, which is alive because of the breath of God, right? Remember 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed. It's the breathed out word of God. And then you have the living word here is Jesus Christ. He became flesh back at his birth. So see, there's an inseparable connection, inseparable connection made between this written word that we have, this complete revelation, and the living word, Jesus Christ himself. They're the same. That's why I remember when he told the, said that to the Pharisees, he said, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And they went, that's disgusting. You know? They didn't understand that. Why? Because the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. Remember, they sat in Moses' seat. They knew the letter of the law backwards and forwards. But they couldn't get past the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. So they didn't understand what he meant. What he meant was, hey, I'm the word that became flesh. And you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. So what he was saying is, I'm the living word, and I'm one and the same with the written word. So as believers in this dispensation, we have to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood on a daily basis for our spiritual sustenance. See, what did he give to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament to get through their wilderness wandering? What were they provided with? Manna, I see the brother in the back. Manna. Were they given anything else to eat? No. What happened when they started grumbling about not having anything else to eat? God judged them, right? They were given manna. That was the only thing they were given, and that was the only thing they needed for their physical sustenance during their wilderness wanderings. So in the third epistle in Revelation, one of the overcomers promises, it says you will be given to partake of the hidden manna. So Israel in the Old Testament in the type was given manna for their physical sustenance during their wilderness wanderings. Right? And the antitype in the New Testament for believers, we're given manna. You see manna in the Old Testament, manna in the New Testament. You only see hidden manna in Revelation. Remember, who's the true bread? Jesus Christ. Right? So we're given manna to partake of for our spiritual sustenance. And this is all we need, this book right here. But just as on a day, how much were they supposed to gather each morning? Just enough for that day. And then on the sixth day, they had to gather enough for two days because they couldn't 
work on the Sabbath because the Sabbath was given to Israel as a sign. And in both references in Genesis, when it talks about it being given as a sign, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Takes you right back there. It says, I'm giving you the Sabbath as a sign. So that there, and a sign always points to something beyond itself, right? But he said, just as the God worked six days to restore a ruined creation in Genesis, and he rested on the seventh. And then we see in Hebrews, remember, that there's a Sabbath rest that still awaits the people of God. So just as he took six literal days, 24-hour days, to restore a ruined creation, and he rested on the seventh, He's now taking six days to restore two ruined creations, the earth again and man, and he's going to rest on the seventh. Except for these days are how long? A thousand years. So how, how long have we been around? Almost 6,000 years, right? He dealt with the uh, Gentiles, even though they weren't known as Gentiles back then, for the first two days of the first 2,000 years. Then there was a special creation that occurred. Abraham's the father of the nation, but remember, he was the father of many nations. So God's special creation took place in Jacob, who then was names was changed later to Israel. And it was through them that all the blessings were supposed to flow. And so then he dealt with the nation of Israel for almost two days or 2,000 years. And then Messiah was cut off, as it talks about in Daniel. And then you see that another creation coming, a new creation in Christ came into being, the church. And he's been dealing with us for about 2,000 years. Or two days. And in Second Peter, Peter says, literally, stop. Remember? Stop letting these things escape your notice. In the Greek, that a day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And he takes you back to Genesis in that. The context. And that flood is not the Noahic flood. He's talking about, remember what he had to do? Remember he had to separate the waters in Genesis. <clears throat> so obviously, when Lucifer fell, the earth was put in a state of ruin and was flooded with waters. And then when the man became so corrupt, you have Noah came on the scene, the tenth generation from Adam. And he flooded the whole earth again and destroyed man and started over with Noah and his sons and their wives. But then remember he said he would never again destroy the earth by flood, so he gave him the sign of the rainbow. <clears throat> and you can still see rainbows in the sky when in right conditions when the thunderstorms and <clears throat> So the flood that he was talking about in Second in, in Peter was the original flood, 
way back because he's taking you back to Genesis. And he said, don't stop letting that fact escape your notice. That the one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Remember, they had scoffers that were in that church. They were believers, weren't they? Right? Scoffers weren't unbelievers. Got a lot of scoffers in the church today, too, don't you? Remember, two Sundays ago, we talked about there's only three churches I know of in all of Hamilton, Catoosa, Walker, anywhere you want to talk about around here that preach the kingdom truths. And we listed them, this church being one. Remember, Calvary Red Bank and Faith Baptist up off Highway 58 on Hickory Valley. But you don't see a lot of people flocking to those three churches, do you? That's because, remember, what's the seventh epistle in Revelation is to the church of Laodicea. Nothing good was said about the Laodicean church, right? And we talked about that. They thought they were rich, had need of nothing. So we see all these churches today building their $25 million buildings, all their facilities, and they have their, uh, well, they're really gymnasiums, but churches call them, you know, uh, fellowship halls or or whatever. Do I? Yeah, life centers, that's another good term. And their auditoriums, they call them worship centers. And the song leader is now called a worship leader. He gets up and, and uh, worship is supposed to be going on in all those places. But remember, what does it say about the second? Peter talked about, or Timothy it was, or Paul. <clears throat> remember, in the end times, they will heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears that want to be scratched. So you have a lot of your feel-good sermons going on, a lot of your prosperity gospels being preached by the dude down in Texas with the, uh, whatever it is, $40,000, a 40,000-person church writing his books. God wants you to have your best life now. Where does it say that in this book? now or gain it in the age to come. Or you can gain your life now and lose it for the age to come. Doesn't sound like a prosperity gospel to me. And I'm not saying that, you know, we're all supposed to be poor and not have poor to clothes and can't put food and table and all that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's not supposed to be our focus, okay? Having all our best stuff now. Having all our best life now. You know. But if that's what you want to get your ears tickled, you can turn on TBN on cable television. You know, watch some of that. <laughs> but if you go to a church where the kingdom truths are being preach, you don't see a bunch of people flocking to those churches. 
I hate to say it that way, but most times if you see a you know church that you know has you know like ten thousand people in there, I, you know, I doubt the kingdom truths are being preached in a place that's got ten thousand people sitting in it. <clears throat> but if we want to be overcomers, we got to eat of His flesh and drink of His blood. We have to be in the living, the written word every day, which is the same as the living word. And engraft that into our saved human spirits to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's alive because of the breath of God, the neshama, the spirit. It's God-breathed. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And just as the Israelites had the manna in the Old Testament for their wilderness wanderings, this world is not my home. Remember the old hymn? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. So I have my manna in this dispensation that I have to. It's the only thing I'm given. It's the only thing I need. Just as the only thing that was given to the nation of Israel was manna. That's the only thing they needed for physical sustenance. This is the only thing I'm given. This is the only thing I'm supposed to partake of for my spiritual sustenance for my wilderness wanderings. Till I get to the promised land. And hopefully hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant, and get my inheritance. All right? So it's all about this book, and that's why I love to hear the men of this church uh, and you and y'all partaking in uh, buying Bibles for all those middle school students because this could change their lives. They get in this book; it's a life-changing book. It's alive. Let's be overcomers. Let's get in this book on a daily basis and eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And I thank Alan and y'all for the opportunity to come over here again. I thank you for your attention. And uh, I just appreciate the opportunity again. And I hope you all have a blessed. uh, Let's keep praying for all these people that were mentioned. And then Brother Alan, I know I pray for him every day. Thank you. We just want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. If there's a particular need in your life, we'll just sing a, a verse of invitation. And if you had something you'd like to come for, uh, we would certainly be glad to talk to you and pray with you. And <clears throat> if you have a particular need, um, there was a lot to, lot to digest there and a lot to take in. And um, basically, we just need to do it. That's what it all boils down to.